Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host as always and I'm joined this week as we begin to get seriously excited about the season beginning soon by Mr Cameron Bell. How are you doing Cammy? I'm good my friend, are you okay? Yes, not too bad. Uh, I had my first experience in, the, well it wasn't in the press box, it was in the, the West Enclosure um, but getting in to, to watch Rangers uh, with the press was, was interesting, to say the least. We'll come to that later on. But uh, first of all, Cammy, before we get started today, as we record, t- today is the, or would have been, the 44th birthday of Fernando Rickson. And I think that's made even more poignant by the fact that we lost David Hagen on Friday night to this awful disease, MND. It really is a, a horrible, horrible illness. David, people will remember as a youngster back in the nine in a row era. Um, you'll remember him coming on against Bruges, in fact, in that amazing Champions League run. And he scored three times for the club, was was a very promising youngster. No disgrace that he couldn't force his way into that side. Uh, Rangers uh, at the time had some of the best players in Britain. Uh, and Mark Haley and, and others, uh, you could argue, some of the best in Europe. Um, but he went off to Hearts and, and, among others, and had a very, very solid career. Cami, it's a horrible illness because it, it strikes down so many young, fit people who have years ahead of them and just takes it away from them and, and it's a heartbreaking illness and certainly I'm sure you'll, you'll join me in, in sending all our love to David Hagen's family. Um, I know that the, the whole of the, the Rangers support will feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the the horrible thing about MND is that it doesn't discriminate. And uh, when you see, as you say, David, you know, former professional athletes, and let's face it, you know, these guys are are not slouches even after they, they, they kind of give the no, game up and no. what have you and stuff as well. You know, it's um, it, it doesn't um, make a difference in terms of, you know, 
how fit you were, how capable you were, all of that kind of stuff. And because obviously it's so degenerative, it's it's just it's horrible to watch. And I think um, you know, been able to try and give some more highlight to the current MND causes, how to be able to try and do that is is something that we we see from that. And again, if you if you look at how we treat that as a Rangers family, whenever one of our own falls unwell, obviously everyone's been sending their best wishes to Scott Nisbet. And Nizzy's obviously fighting his own battle with uh, with cancer at the moment, uh, doing well, uh, keeping us with regular updates, etc. But with these guys, like you say, your image is always of that fit, that athletic, especially, you know, Fernando Dixon, who would have been 44 today, is no age. No. And the fact that, you know, your your mindset is with these guys. David Hague was exactly the same where, you know, it is box to box. It's constant running. Again, the athleticism, been able to see that. He was, he was light and quick. Yeah, and and what I would what I would absolutely encourage people is that's what you should always remember about these guys. It's not towards the tail end because they wouldn't want you to remember them in that way. They would want you to remember them in their prime, and it's been cut down all too soon. And yeah, as you say, our, our, our hearts and thoughts and prayers are with the Hagen family and also for Fernando's family on his uh, on his birthday today. Absolutely, mate. Well, it's it's not really easy to to talk about anything else after that. Um, nothing can can follow it, but we uh, have to to move on to uh, more far less important um, issues. And that, of, of course, though, football can unite us all. And on Saturday at Ibrox, uh, I experienced a, a very surreal situation, Cami, where Rangers were playing. I was fortunate enough to be there. However. Seeing Rangers score a goal and no one applaud is utterly bizarre. And the first thing I realised is is how trained I am um, to certain behaviours. It's it's almost Pavlovian. The at the start they they still do the announcements um, as if it was a normal match day. So the 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 announcer started to give the Rangers team, and he did it in the voice. You know the. In goals, number one, yeah. Alan McGregor. And I, I, I wanted to clap because that's what you do. And then when Simply the Best started, I began to stand up to clap for that. And it's amazing. It just it makes me think, oh, wow, there's just these things. That I did. Half time, I stood up, you know, just instantly. There's all these things that you do that you don't really consider. It is bizarre. It must be bizarre for the players um, to be in Ibrox and, and to look around and to, to not see the the fans there that we are you know such a loyal fan base we turn up for anything I think we all remember forty one thousand for a friendly against um, Barry a couple of years ago so it's it's going to take some getting used to hundred percent and I think uh, it's it's going to be difficult for the players we understand that I know that um, we we were fortunate enough to hear from yourself uh, yourself and Stevie Clifford uh, from the four lads had a dream uh, site talking around. Um, really just the kind of emptiness almost and the fact that the players will either use that to their advantage it might be a detractor we don't know and I think we're going to have to spend a little bit more time allowing the players to be able to try and get into that because I think the difficulty that you'd always have is you would maybe almost think of that as like a training game and although albeit obviously with the friendly with Coventry and Saturday you know on Saturday coming at half past 12 the real business begins and that's going to be a mental shift for the players being able to do that in an empty stadium which is you're going to be able to hear a pin drop and and for a team that maybe like you say doesn't have as big a stadium as Ibrox okay the noise factor might be slightly but for us it'll be a lot in terms of having to make that difference for the for the players so 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how we can get on with that. And and I think <laughs> I do. I can see in my head you standing up and waiting closure a bit to start clapping, and then sitting back doing it. Um, yeah. But again, like you say, it's it's going to be something that. Unfortunately, due to these circumstances, we're, we're going to have to just endure. And, and again, we'll, we'll assess the players in terms of how they become accustomed to it. Important factor for us is that we make up for that lost noise when we eventually get back into the stadium. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, that's That would be the key thing. But uh, obviously, you know, the, the health does come first and it, it's understandable uh, that, that, that people have to make sure that, that everyone is, is able safely to return to, to the ground. But to the game itself, uh, Coventry were very well organised, I thought, Cami, very well disciplined, well coached. You could see that. They they came up last season. Um, they swapped their teams around at half-time. They had uh, 11 uh, substitutions at half-time. And in a way, although they're a few weeks behind us, I think that actually made for a better game because the players were told you, the coaching staff, you could hear them telling them this to go out and empty it in that 45 minutes because they didn't have to save some for the second half. Um, so I think that gave Rangers a good test fitness-wise. And also a little bit closer to what we will play at Ibrox in the season, which is teams coming, getting men behind the ball, making it very difficult for us to to work. And in the first half, uh, it was a, a, a kind of case of same old, same old. We'd seen it before, not really... The incisiveness that we showed against Motherwell, where that first half performance was just sexual at times, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, but it, it, we did overcome it, stuck to the task. Joe Aribo again proving what a useful player he's, he, he's potentially going to be for us this season. I've spoken about this before um, on a, on our Patreon site, Cami. I, there's an edge to his play that I haven't really seen from him before. That I don't know how to put it exactly, which is makes for great radio, I'm sure. But it, it, it just seems to be this little extra 10% from somewhere where he seems more direct and, and more wanting to burst into the box and get a shot away. Um, if, if he can continue to do that, I think he can be a match winner and a difference maker in games when, when people do have 10 men behind the ball. Could prove to be a, a missing piece of the puzzle that when we've resorted to to, to type in terms of um, you know our fullbacks been able to kind of get in and put crosses into the box, playing against tall central defenders who will typically clear their lines pretty effectively, been able to get someone who can unlock part of that through the middle of the park is going to be you know could be possibly you know, one of the biggest uh, advantages to our play this season. Um, I think you're right. I think that there's probably been elements of that where we've seen that for Joe Aribo. Uh, obviously, your immediate thought process is Braga. Um, and then you, you've, you've seen how he's played in the in the pre-season so far. Um, I think a couple of things I would say in terms of where we've been at with regards Aribo himself is that he needs to be able to do this consistently when we get into form. I, I would like to believe that the, the coaching staff are telling him go and do that, how you phrase that, I don't know, express yourself, get on the ball, recover it, blah, 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 to go ahead and do that. But the other part of Joe Rebo's play, which I've really enjoyed watching, is not just his fantastic goals, um, but he just seems to me, I think he's put on a little bit of weight, some good bulk on him, um, but he's got those telescopic legs, so annoying to try and get the ball off of, um, but his ability now to shield it and protect the ball slightly better also means um, that he's going to be able to penetrate further with that, with that incisive pass, that spread across the field, whatever he can do to be able to try and continue that attack and kind of keep it moving. So you're absolutely right. I think, you know, if, if, if a, 
was me and I was the manager and I'd be saying to him, this is your season. You've acclimatised the game up here. You've addressed probably for me, which was a point around the physicality side of it, which maybe you've struggled with in the past because now you look a bit a bit bulkier. You've put on the, the weight and strength. So go and do it. Go and, go and take free reign and see what happens if we adapt our play to maybe not play with so many defensive midfielders and maybe rotate that round slightly. Uh, give them the ball, trust them to take the ball. Um, then I think, like you say, you've also got the ingenuity of of, of Kent one side, Hadji and the other, who will make those wee runs, those wee gaps, because they're players of that level who can see it. So very, very encouraged. The manager spoke about it afterwards and he said that they've put Joe back because, as we remember last season, he, he tended to play as, as one of the kind of... Um, two number 10s or part of the front three, however you want to put it. Um, he says, we've put them back there to try and help us break the lines when teams play like this, to get more goals from midfield, which is crucial. We are over-reliant on our strikers, be it Alfredo mainly and then Jermaine Defoe. We are over-reliant. And I think that everybody needs to to contribute more. Um, I think that we, we, we should be expecting more goals from all over the field. I'm not you know, expecting a centre-half to get 25, but if everyone can weigh in with a reasonable amount and just shift that, that burden, and obviously we'll come to who that front striker might be uh, a little later in the show, but it, it's vital that goals are spread throughout the team because we cannot continue to be in a situation where if one player is slightly off the boil, it really reduces our goal threat as much as it seemed to last season. Yeah, you're right. Listen, there is that shared responsibility and I don't think there's anything wrong with laying that challenge at the door of players in terms of what you're capable uh, well, of doing. I, I was going to ask you about that. Should we should players be getting goal targets? Like, I expect you, if you play it, you know, I want 7 to 12 goals from you from midfield. I want 15 goals from you from the wing. You know, is that a reasonable thing to ask? Yeah, I, I think it is because I think that we've got a talent level that far outweighs the vast majority of the domestic opponents we'll be playing against. And I think, listen, don't get wrong, right? I mean, I'm not suggesting for a minute that the manager turns around and says, right, you know, I expect 15 goals from you in the middle of the park. So if you say Rebo, for example, I want 15 goals from you in the middle of the park, but then you get halfway through the season, he hasn't scored yet. What else has he been doing to mitigate those those lack of goals? If he's turned around and saying, well, actually, I've set up however many, I've got X amount of assists, then do you know what? That's fine because you reshape that target and maybe and maybe bring it into to, to adjustment. But I think, like you say, it's it's a challenge for us. And these players need to understand, yes, we accept COVID. Yes, we accept everything that's happened. But there is no excuses anymore. We have no more passengers. And ultimately, you wrecked the second half of last season because a lot of you didn't step up to take that responsibility. We're putting it back to you now. There's a challenge. Go and get it. And the players have to take responsibility for that. And, and, and fundamentally, they have to take accountability for what they're going to produce with that. So, no, I would have no issues with goal targets, depending on where you play. Yeah, I, I, as I say, as, as Cammy mentioned, rather, you don't need to be kind of hard and fast to it. If, if, if somebody has a terrific season and falls a goal shy of what you set them, it doesn't mean he's in a bad season. But I, I do think it's it's a key area for us to improve on. And, you know, the early signs are good. The Motherwell performance in particular was, was just splendid. Now, I don't think Motherwell, if they come to Ibrox under a normal set of circumstances, give us the amount of space that they gave us to play in. Um, and we've talked about this before. Rangers, when we have space, are a really good side. Proved it again in France, proved it in Europe often enough. It's the games where we dominate the ball. And Conor Goldson, the... um, sorry, Cammy, Conor Goldson said an interesting thing after the match when he was interviewed. He said that sometimes the team, because when they have all that possession, they get frustrated 
when you know the the out of possession and they go charging off and that's what leaves gaps that's what creates errors and that also allows teams to pull us out of our shape whereas against better teams we're very disciplined and we hold our shape and that means that we are capable of of producing more yeah well that's sorry for interrupting there david but one of the things i wanted to to kind of also just point out as well is if you look back at the commentary match the, the opening 10 or 15 minutes the way that we are pinging the ball about with lovely control first time passes Again, like you say, if you look back in that opening period and you'll be very, very impressed if you haven't seen it already. But it's worth remembering, until Coventry got into a little bit of a little bit of shape, etc., we're capable of passing and, and looking after the ball very, very well. We can do that as a football team. And yes, I understand Connor's point there in terms of, yeah, there's a different optic to it depending on the level of team that you're playing against, whether you do that domestically in Europe or whatever. But there is still the point around, you know, when you have that facility to play and when you have the ball, you can be a very, very good football team that's very effective at, you know, as I say, recycling the ball, passing it well, taking care of it well, and then hopefully finishing that with, you know, scoring opportunities. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's what's, what's been pleasing for me is to, to be able to see that across the confidence that hopefully the friendlies have given us up to this point. Yeah, totally. I think that... You know, we do we do go into the season in good form. We we have played four matches. We've you know won all four of them. We've scored ten goals. I haven't conceded, and that that for me is absolutely huge. Um, we you know it's the old fashioned thing. You give yourself a chance if you don't concede, and you know we are looking sharp. We are looking fit. Stephen Gerrard, uh, uh, something that attracted a lot of comment was after the match, he spoke about we need players in, um, we need more players. He spoke to the board about it. Um, the financial decisions are other people's, he said, but the, he's made them aware. And some people took that as a, a, a as a kind of challenge, you know, that we need players, back me. <laughs> Again, you know, I don't want to, to read too much into body language, but it was a very matter-of-fact statement. It wasn't a... I don't think he did it in that way. It certainly just came across as, you know, he's very direct, Stephen Gerrard, and I think it was just a standard thing. I mean, managers want new players in the summer. It's not unique to us, and I don't think that there was any coded message within it. I think he strikes us all as a guy who would have who would have told the board, we need this and that. Um, so I, I didn't think it was anything to be concerned about. No, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm happy with what he came out and said because you've also got to look at the, the, the idea that we are now purposefully attracting and have spent a lot of money, by the way, on quality to give the board their due credit um, on quality rather than quantity, which I think has been part of our challenge over certainly the last five to ten years, um, and more recently within the last few windows, we, we've, we've backed that up now. I think you caveat that by saying that not everybody's going to work and we do have examples of where it hasn't, but we've also got examples of where it has. Um, I think that what you look at that space, though, in terms of where that sits at, is if I'm the manager and I'm looking at how I control my resources, if I am looking at potentially three or four players who it's likely are going to be going out the door, whether it's on sale or transfer or, you know, loan, whatever. But if I then save you X amount on wages per week on week and you're going to spend money bringing in a player who I can then bring in as a higher quality, then that's what absolutely has to happen. And I'm, I completely back the manager in that. So you can't say to him, be conservative about your squad and its numbers, but also then say, well, I'm not going to give you the resources to be able to, to, to push that on if you feel they're missing. And I think um, the, the most important thing for the board to do is obviously support them where they can within reason. But I don't think that the board have 
failed to do that. And I've been critical of the board before, but I will absolutely give them their due credit with that. We've spent money in Hadji, we've spent money in Ryan Kent. Um, there's going to be other elements to that, which we'll obviously come on to later on in the show. But then at the same point, this is where I think that the manager has to be quite forthright about where he's at. So, no, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with the way he made his comments and, and, and how they would have come across. Also, Cammy, the big thing of the weekend, if you like, was stories emerging on Sunday that uh, Lille are interested in Alfredo Morelos, uh, said to be uh, an initial offer, according to various sources, of £13 million, which is quite far off Rangers' valuation for him. However, Lille remain interested in the player. And that, according to certainly reports, uh, The Athletic stated that Alfredo wants to go to Lille, but obviously a fee needs to be agreed. There was a report on Sky Sports News that personal terms have already been agreed between the player and Lille, which, again, seems a little odd, but I suppose is reflective more of the way the world works these days. I dare say it's not a formal contract I've sat down and talked about, but just roughly... We'll give you this much. Aye, that sounds all right. You know, to his agent, so they've got plausible deniability. I suppose there's no point being naive. This happens. We get it. It's not very pleasant, but uh, it, it happens all throughout football. It doesn't make it right, but it happens all throughout football. But, uh, yeah, Cammy, uh, the club said, uh, the phrase they used was, no active discussions. Active is, I think, the key word in that sentence. Obviously, we all knew this day would come or the day will come when Alfredo leaves. It might be now, it might not be. The key thing for me is one way or another it gets resolved quickly, but unfortunately I'm not sure that's something we control. Um, You know, a buying club can just sit back and say, we've turned his head, now we just wait and watch for it to to, to push into a situation where it's better for everyone if the player leaves, and I hope that doesn't happen. But if he is to go, you'd hope it would be done relatively quickly. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, even with injury to Jermaine Defoe, does this put our search for a striker into hyperdrive? I know that we were obviously in the market. We've been looking at midfielders and, and we've been linked with various ones. Does this now put the striking position and, and Jermaine's injury, obviously, does that then put this into a greater focus and, and potentially prioritise over a midfielder? I don't know. I am comfortable um, that Ross Wilson will have targets. He will probably have a short list than where that looks at. And um, as we've seen in recent dealings, these have come out of the blue. So um, I'm confident that we are looking at certain options for replacements. So we probably have a bit of a list in our pocket and how that looks at. What I, it, would, it might feel to me, David, is we have two sets of lists. One is within current budget and one is within potential budget if we sell Alfredo. And I think if that happens, and and, and again, it's clear we've said this a number of times uh, on the flagship and also on our Patreon site, is people need to make sure that they don't get blinded by the numbers and think, right, so let's say if he goes theoretically for 15, 18, 20 million, whatever he goes for, we are not buying a £15 million striker because you need to pay him what that's going to be worth and that's all of your money completely out the door. But we don't need to do that, in my opinion. I think that we can find quality to replace him. On Um, that, though, on that, mate, mm -hmm. I know it's the model, right? And it is. You buy low, you sell high. I get that. But the kind of unfortunate side effect of that is 
you, the guy that's going clearly is worth more than the guy who's coming in. There's a reason for that. They're at different stages of their career or whatever. Are we going to be able to replace him because he is such when he's you know when he's on form? Um, he is unplayable. I mean, he his hold up play, his movement, his goal scoring, everything about the way he occupies defenders. It it, it worries me that it it leaves a big hole. It, it does, but then I think that that again, like you say, he comes back to Ross Wilson's door, and he needs to understand the level of the player that you you're going to to have to replace and. I mean, we're talking there about how do you share out responsibility amongst the group in terms of you know, when the goals dry up. We've seen that. We've, we've lived through that. So whilst you have that responsibility, you can't then put it to the space of, OK, so then in that case, we'll buy someone on the cheap and then he can come in and hope for the best. You need to replace quality with quality. Um, the challenge there, obviously, is to where you then see that from a value perspective about a guy who, and let's be honest with us, David, his, his goals in Europe have absolutely skyrocketed his price because let's face it, it's 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 more visible to a wider market. And that's what you're talking about. But if you're gonna tell me I'll get you a replacement who can score you forty goals domestically for a guy who has hit double figures in Europe, there's gonna to have to be a swing there in terms of what's acceptable to it. But I will state this now. If we sell Alfredo Morelos and the board decide not to reinvest a significant amount, not all of it, so let's be realistic. But if they decide not to reinvest a significant amount of that money in it, I think the board lose a lot of credit, especially if we don't win the league this season. Oh, I, so, I think the manager would be. Yeah, the, the, and and that and that maybe be maybe that's where some of the comments and some of the, the the kind of stuff that's coming out from Gerard in terms of what the plan is for that as well is saying, you know, if that deal does go ahead. And you're right, the the the, the conversations have probably happened, but if we're in a stalemate at the moment something will shift that deadlock. If that's a sale, then we know where the money has to go. And I think the manager's probably alluded to that quite strongly. You need a different level. I mean, there's a difference between the, the <clears> guy you need. If you've got Alfredo Morelos, Jermaine Defoe, you then need a guy at a, a certain level. But if you've not got Alfredo Morelos, you need somebody to come in, I think, as the number one guy, you know, as your top boy. And I think you need competition. So I think you need somebody else who's at or near that level. And, you know, we've been linked with a lot of players, a lot of players from France, incidentally, um, even though it's not really a market we've hugely tapped up in the last couple of years. Um, but I suppose that will, you know, that will happen now. There's been so many names mentioned, you know, Josh Major from uh, from Bordeaux was one that was linked, Andre Gray from Watford was another that was linked. And it's difficult because the club are not talking to anybody about transfers. They, they just don't. Um, they, you know, you ask, you get told no, um, no comment, fun, no comment. In fact, if you ask continually, second word is off. But um, <laughs> but then, well, what, what would what would I ask you then? And so, like I say, if you're if you're in charge of that, what would you prefer at the moment? So let's say, let's say theoretically we get fifty million pound for Alfredo Morelos, and let's say the manager then commits ten million pound of that towards a budget. So Ross Wilson now has ten million pounds. Do we then go from a perspective of, okay, so we can get a guy at seven or eight and that's our main guy? Or do we say, let's buy two or five million pound strikers and what they can produce coming into it? Because this is, in other markets, small potatoes, but here it's it's big, right? So I don't know is my honest answer. I, I feel like for safety, we go two, five million pound strikers. But 
you're right, there's a quality perspective there that we need to fulfil and fulfil quickly. I think you've got to get somebody who you go as is our main guy. He's, yeah. you know, the number one. He is the striker, um, all things being equal. But then you also, as you say, you need somebody who's still a, a good player. You know, maybe, and again, we're being very, very, uh, we're, we're painting in very broad strokes here, folks. Uh, maybe you go seven and three, <laughs> you know, that type <laughs> of player. Um, but, you know, it's still a quality replacement to come in. Maybe a younger guy, I don't know. But whoever... Is our you know our number nine? Whoever leads our line next season has got to be quality. He's he's got to you know you never know with any signing really who how they're going to work out. But they've got to come in and they've got to be able to to hit the ground running. But yeah, the the, the thing that I think we all dread is a saga. Um, that's not good for anybody. Um, the ideal thing is Alf says, you know what, I want to stay for another year and win the league. Brilliant, and we just put it all to bed and get on with it. But if that's not going to happen, then you want a quick deal where somebody comes in and pays you a good amount with a sell-on fee because, as I say, you know, players get flipped out of France and end up in you know, England and Serie A for a lot of money within a year. So make sure we've got a cut of that and then get your replacements in and be ready to go. But, you know, we're not alone in this. You know, yeah, we kick off the season next week, but other Scottish clubs even are still scrambling about looking for targets. It's not unique to us. Let's not forget that. The, the way that the market this weird year is it's going to be strange and it's going to have a knock-on effect. Windows open at different times to later in the year than they normally would. It's all going to combine to to make a, a strange start to the season. On that, Cami, um, in terms of a stop-start to the season, um, the SPFL board, uh, they had asked for powers to call the season in the event of another disruption and the clubs refused that um, the SPFL were not given those powers however we found out today and we don't have a lot more information other than what we're going to talk about at the time of recording folks so apologies if it's moved on in the time since uh, uh, since we've recorded this that the Hearts and Partick Thistle have lost their arbitration case that uh, the arbitration panel ruled that the SPFL were within the rights to pass the resolution that they did. And uh, it would appear, though, that, you know, we're liable to go back to court, given previous statements from Hearts and, Par- and Partick Thistle, but we'll we'll find out about that in due course. Um, again, it's, it's part of this whole situation. It, it was grossly mishandled by the SPFL from the start and it shows no signs of abating yet. No, it doesn't. And and what I think we called out even during the process and what we tried to convince clubs of is that the the base root of this is that the SPFL are not fit to govern this. And it's not it, it, you know the the clubs the clubs were became very, very self centered. I understand that to extent. Money was held from them. Um, and it was held over ransom in order to be able to expedite a vote. I understand why clubs had to be able to try and get around that. I, I get the whole thing. But when we get back to some sort of degree of normality, my hope is that these clubs remember that. And when we look at being able to try and do wholesale change um, at, you know, at that SPFL level, we need to be able to, to put the well-being of member clubs front and centre. Um I absolutely agree with the fact that that um, decision to call the season, if necessary, should be getting taken away from them. 
um, because I could list you a number of countries around the world that were able to play to a finish and the expectancy in terms of promotion and relegations or, or, or titles have not turned out how they would have been had their seasons been called at the time. So for me, um, I understand the hearts and Partick Thistle will continue doing this. I've said to you many a time, David, I foresee it being the case that they will just accept the decisions, but they'll probably get money out the back of it. I don't know why someone hasn't talked about this. It won't be anywhere near what I think is the reported figure for the two of them talking about eight million and two million a piece or something to that nature. It won't be anywhere near that. But as we get closer to the league starting and obviously the lower division starting and getting back to a degree of normality, as we can call it that, um, there will just be a case of let's just go on with it. And that's what I think will supersede now the fact that this is still unresolved. That's what my concern is. We need to look at a longer range, bigger picture, which I think is why the right decision has been made to take the decision to call it away from them. Interesting, though, that they were refused those powers. I'm not sure that would have happened without the, the kind of ham-fisted <laughs> attempt that they made uh, and the way that they, they carried themselves on through it. But it, do, it does show you that, you know, there is a concern that that might happen. And we saw last week, thankfully, reports that didn't turn out to be as serious, where we saw reports that seven... Um, players or officials at St Mirren had tested positive for COVID. In the end, it was six false positives, which strikes me as abhorrent. By the way, can you imagine being told you've got it and then ah, you don't? And and in fact, then being the poor bastard that's at the seven that still does, but uh, not not a good situation. But um, it, this could happen. It absolutely could, and I think that as fans, we need to exercise wherever possible some sort of degree of patience we obviously had a direct impact with our uh, game against Motherwell in a delayed kickoff um, and I don't think anyone in their heart of hearts as much as we are all choking for proper football to come back and for uh, seeing the Rangers to, to, to start playing again on a regular basis is, is absolutely what we want that that in turn should prioritise uh, over safety of players you know officials staff etc so it's really important for us to be able to make sure we retain that in perspective. Um, I think what this has done, however, is that it has shown, and Hamfist is a perfect description of it, it's shown this constant bungling by the SPFL to not only, to a certain extent, kowtow to a certain club and to, let's just say, make it comfortable to be able to come to certain agreements, but also at the fact that it's it's this is about executive leadership. This is about trust and faith in a leadership body which puts you first and that hasn't happened and I think clubs are now getting wise to that eventually it's been a long time coming um, but it also shows that that, that trust is not there um, unfortunately there is no um, there's no one at the SPFL who's so self-effacing that they can't turn around and go actually do you know what maybe we've, we've, we've bollocks this up they're literally just putting plaster over crack over crack over crack rather than thinking that this, this needs to have a serious review of what we've done and how we've handled this because, again, like you say, they don't have that level of humility. Well, there was reports in the paper last week that Rangers faced an SFA probe, um, which was described uh, as a complete non-story by people at the club. But, uh, you know, the SFA have admitted their own guidance was flawed. They've had to reissue their own rules after several clubs pointed out that it was incorrect and vague. 
Um, the SFA also recommended a company to do the testing that just hasn't been up to it. Um, the, the company can't deliver within timescales that the SFA themselves asked for. And uh, there's a lot of resentment, not you know, not just at Rangers. There's a lot of clubs who feel that the SFA have been trumpeting that they gave clubs guidance, but they haven't really helped them in terms of paying for testing, subsidising the machines, just, just generally getting solutions. So there's more than a few clubs that are annoyed with the SFA leadership and the leadership of the game in Scotland generally. And I think that that maybe ties in, Cammy, to the fact that when they asked for more powers, they were told no. But, you know, this fight hasn't gone away. Um, no, you know, uh, Rangers, uh, for example, have, have been very clearly want regime change in Scotland. And um, the fact that is isn't currently the main thing doesn't mean that it's gone away. No, it's not. But then... This is why I'm saying, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Obviously, we're very fortunate that six out of the seven positive tests turns out to be incorrect. But that in itself, that's your, for want of a better term, that's your warning shot that these things are not fit for purpose. That in actual fact, as you say in there, that clubs have voiced, um, you know, concerns over what's happened with the company that the SFA have used on the back of that, that their own processing pages weren't uh, up to scratch. And my, my problem with this is, at what point are the SFA going to take that seriously? Because unless they are talking about completely changing everything and stopping and saying, look, we need to completely reassess this entire situation, we are putting people at risk. And that, for me, is, is, is why you're right, we've been extraordinarily lucky with the St Mirren situation. But it could have been far, far worse. And that's what we need to ensure we get right here. And this is an opportunity for us to show the rest of the world that we're not a complete laughing stock. But the SFA don't seem interested in that. There's definitely economical and commercial uh, commercial uh, reasons behind being able to get the season kicked off and doing all that. But we can't do that at the risk of people's health. It's just simply unacceptable. So you're right, the regime change has to come. Um the SFA and the SPFL will, will continue to bungle this because we've got zero faith that they will um, be able to, to, to readdress anything that they've done and, and been able to try and change any of it. Um, and my hope is that we don't get to a really, really serious scenario and, and that causes it because it's not worth it. Football is not worth that. No, absolutely. It, it just doesn't really matter. So all roads then, I suppose, lead, well, on TV anyway, to Pataudry at the weekend. Um, a huge season for us. Uh, we really do need to be winning things now. And hopefully we can do it a wee bit more united as a support. Um, I think you know, all of us have been up to Heidel given the situation recently. Certainly I know that I've had to look at my own behaviour on places like Twitter and whatnot and really reconsider it and the way that I approach people and the way that I speak to people. And I know that I'm going to change that because it's important that we are united and we remember that as we move forward into this season that you know what Twitter's like, and I, I'm bad for this, that it, it, you instantly go to DEFCON 3, don't you? And you become very, I what? Um, and then you remember, hold on, I'm talking to another Rangers fan. So that's something I'm going to do. I'm certainly going to look at my behaviour online and uh, remember that we're all after the same thing, which is, Cammy Rangers winning 55. 100%. And I think uh, it's always interesting to see our friends in the press say that we're under tremendous pressure. And I'm like, well, it's funny because I remember when we were uh, challenging for, for winning our t- title in a row, we were under tremendous pressure. So it's odd that obviously that narrative's already been painted. 
what Rangers fans have to remember, and, and listen, David, you're absolutely right, and and you know, in reference to some of the stuff that you see within social media, personally, and I, I kind of put this up in my Twitter account and said, look, you know, I'm actually getting a bit, it's, it's affecting me mentally in terms of where I see Rangers fans at loggerheads with each other. What I would say, there's a couple of things about it. The first thing is, if you think we're all going to agree on something, forget about it, because it's just never, ever going to happen. We're a wide church. We have a lot of different opinions and beliefs which are personal to us. And no one is wrong, right? I'm not saying that, but if you believe in that, then I respect your right to it. But at the same point, I can think something totally differently. And that social media sphere is not the place to be able to try and have those types of conversations because you're right, they don't communicate well with each other and doesn't work like that. And the second thing is, there's there's going to be constant jibs and jabs from everywhere across this season. We've already started having conversations about you know, what happens if there's another break of COVID and what happens if we call a league and Celtic get it wrapped up for them again by the end of October. I saw someone the other day and they were totally right. I really couldn't disagree with this. And said, our point now is get to the top of the league. Because see if you're at the top of the league and they have to call it, they've got no option but to give it to whoever's at top. And I, I, <laughs> there's a part of me that's really afraid that that could happen. But again, like you say, it's just because I've had my fingers burnt. These things will all come at us from different angles. What we can't do as a support, however is then start that infighting, that kind of bickering amongst ourselves, because we will have all these enemies at the gates, no matter where they come from, from different angles. Do not think that that is paranoia. Don't think that you've you've not seen or heard parts of this in terms of various different um, press machinations in terms of what agenda setting will be set to go against Rangers because there will be people out there who will do absolutely everything they possibly can to get Celtic to that 10 in a row. So we need to make sure that as a family, as a Rangers community, we come together and consolidate. It's all right to disagree with each other, but you're absolutely right. When you are talking to fellow Bears, just take a breath. Just take two seconds and go, actually, do you know what? We both want the same thing here. So we might come at it from different angles, but again, like you say, just give yourself just two two minutes to think about what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're posting. Yeah, and this is not as lecturing, folks, by the way. This is something that we've had to look at. I need to look at my own behaviour in social media, and I've looked at it, and I haven't liked what I saw. So I'm as guilty of this as anyone, and that's going to change from now on. As, as a wise man said to me recently, and I loved it, there's far more that unites us than divides us, and we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. And I think that is important because at the end of the day, it's one club, it's one love, it's Rangers. Thanks to Cammy for joining me today. A pleasure as always. Thank you, my friend. If you want to hear more from Heart and Hand, you know where to go. It's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, where you'll be able to get for just one ninety nine per month, uh, 50p per week. You'll be able to get hours and hours of content about the Bears as we head towards, hopefully, our 55th title this season. Thanks to our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Myers. And thank you to you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.